we are connecting folks up and down the ballot to donors that really want to talk to them, not just be an email on their list, but really be able not only to just provide that unique one-to-one connection. And so that campaigns are really hearing from people that want to invest in them. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today is Bryce Barnes, a Democratic political fundraiser turned entrepreneur who's putting together a new fundraising platform called GiveBlue, which is intended to be a site to match donors to Democratic campaigns and progressive organizations. I spoke with Bryce about her career working to raise money for many important Democratic politicians and what she's up to with GiveBlue. So, after a quick word from our sponsor, my interview with Bryce Barnes at GiveBlue. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Bryce, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Yes, I am Bryce Barnes, currently living in Tallahassee, Florida, but kind of got here by way of living in a lot of other states. I I like to think that I am someone who has gotten into politics and managed to fight the good fight in the southeast quadrant of the United States. So I've lived in and worked in everywhere from North Carolina all the way down to Florida. And for the past six years, have been living here and raising our family in the capital city of Florida. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in another college town at the ACC, for those that watch ACC basketball, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So um, went from one ACC town to another and constantly get that fun uh, banter with folks here that root for FSU. Was it a political family? My father was political. He actually was the roommate of Hubert Humphrey's son, Skip. My father got involved in development work um, and was the vice president of SMU. So we started, he started at Duke and he kind of traveled around. Um, and then ended up at SMU, but unfortunately passed away when I was eight years old of a rare form of cancer. So I learned kind of self-advocacy and a lot of things early on. So we moved back after uh, our stint in Dallas back home to Chapel Hill um, and finished out the rest of my childhood there. I've read that you went to Furman for college. <laughs> I didn't go far, right? I never made it out of the South. I continued to go deeper. Uh, yes, my mother grew up in, in Greenville, South Carolina, and I grew up visiting that city and just fell in love with the campus. And probably much to my parents' dismay, got into UNC Chapel Hill um, and wanted to go farther away from home to have a little bit more of an experience. So 
found myself there for four years and it was a great experience. Very eye-opening. Yeah. Studying social science generally. Yes. You don't know quite what you want to do in college. And I was definitely one of those kids. And so I found myself really taking on sociology. I honestly took a lot of religion classes and almost majored in religion as well and in political science. But I had this really impactful sociology teacher. And we actually ended up writing a book all about the transformation of Atlanta during the like 2000s um, and just really kind of gravitated towards that subject matter. And I see that you found yourself in the sort of fundraising or development world in academia and in politics pretty quickly. What attracted you to that? Um, Honestly, I was somebody who worked for four years during college for some extra spending money for books. I was fortunate enough to find myself at Furman without a lot of extreme student debt, but did a lot of jobs. And one of the jobs that I did outside of waiting tables and being a bartender uh, was found myself in the development office at Furman, working about 20 hours a week. You can imagine it's it's you're the lowest man on the totem pole, but kind of started to learn what fundraising was about from a collegial standpoint. And then um, after that, got involved at Duke University and then really got into politics because a friend of mine was working for somebody who wanted to run for governor, the first woman governor of North Carolina. And I went and worked for Lieutenant Governor Bev Perdue uh, for her gubernatorial race um, back all the way back in 08. So that was, I was a little late into politics compared to some other folks straight out of college. I've had the privilege of observing a lot of political fundraising going back uh, longer than that, even helping democratic political fundraisers automate their processes and campaigns through software. It always struck me as a kind of a painful activity for most people. What were your observations about it as you started to to do that professionally? I think the irony is that in 2007, and some of the things that we still do today, not much has changed, right? I found myself learning an Excel spreadsheet and keeping contacts and helping manage call time and research was very tedious, right? It was Googling on the internet biographical information to prep whoever was going to make the phone call. The building was when I started was the hard mailed invitation. And, you know, we've now moved forward to a lot more automation and digital, but it was a very cumbersome, tedious process. What did you think of the candidates that you worked for early on? Yeah, I've had the pleasure of working for some phenomenal people, right? I wish we could elect more of of the types of people I've worked for um, in my past across the South, because a lot of them came from a wide spectrum of the Democratic Party. I've worked for U.S. Congresswoman Alma Adams and helped elect her as the 100th woman to Congress, um, as well as Congressman um, Mike McIntyre back in 2010 and 12. And he was very much a blue dog Democrat um, and both represented the state well and did such great things for the state of North Carolina. I'm sure they were each a little different, but what was their relationship to fundraising as part of their, their job in campaigning? The hardest part about the fundraiser's job is that I think 99.9% of candidates loathe getting on the phone and doing the call time, especially for the past uh, maybe 10 years, 15 years. It was 
so heavy on call time. We didn't have as many tools and technology to connect with people. Um, and so the hours really had to be put in uh, by the candidate themselves or the, you know, elected official. And, you know, I think uh, it was always fun when you had a candidate and trying to figure out how to keep their spirits up and get them to connect with that next person. So I think that's always, you know, one of the challenges of a fundraiser. But at the same time, one of the the unique things is you get a lot of time that you get to spend with the principals and the candidates on a one-to-one basis. So you really get to know who they are just outside of who they serve in their elected capacity. What was next for you after being kind of an assistant fundraiser? I had the pleasure of kind of working my way up, right? So I, you know, when it started doing everything from research to starting to handle and manage events to learning how to run a finance plan, managing call time, hiring staff. Um, I had the pleasure of working for U.S. Senator Kay Hagan um, in North Carolina as well. And then, you know, found myself after 2014 searching for something new and had the opportunity to come to the great battleground state of Florida running um, the fundraising operation at uh, the Florida Democratic Party leading up to 2016. And we completely rehauled our funding structure, modernized it, and it creates the funding um, to prepare and be able to hire organizers early. It was the earliest anyone in Florida had ever hired organizers and really starting to invest in, in programs like voter registration, which are critically important in such a battleground state. So it was a really fun and unique challenge and really got to enjoy and immerse myself into all things Florida politics. I don't remember 2016 being totally triumphant for Democrats in Florida. Uh, what was your perspective on on why the state went the way it did and, and what the balance of power is there? We had the front row seats to kind of what was happening several weeks before Election Day. There were lots of troubling things that were happening. We had lots of field offices where we were hiring security and having officers go by. Um, people feeling very threatened. Uh, We had lots of direct mail being returned with notes that were quite nasty about Hillary Clinton and what they thought of Democrats. And I just, in all my years of politics, we had never quite seen such a visceral reaction. So I would like to say that 16 uh, was a, a shock, but in many ways, looking back, we saw plenty of the signs that the state was was trending the way it was in 16. But then in 18, we had great opportunities, picked up a lot of legislative seats. We actually had one of our best legislative cycles and picked up a few state senators and about six um, state house members. We passed a restoration of rights amendment called Amendment 4 across the state with over 60% approval and elected Commissioner Nikki Freed and got very close to electing a governor. Very, very close. And I think if you had to ask me between 18 and 16, 18 was much more of a heartbreak for Florida. It seems like you started a couple enterprises of your own uh, along the way. Tell me about them. I had the opportunity to partner with, with folks along the way to support people across Democratic politics. So one of the more fun projects was helping to move some funding in South Carolina around Jamie Harrison. And everyone knows that Jamie Harrison had more money than he knew what to do with. But we had the unique opportunity to to come in with several other friends in 2020 during the COVID times and 
help in South Carolina. We moved some money into the legislature and helped support voter registration and then persuasion and some communities of color, which was great. And then also during COVID, um, you know, one of the things that kind of got me thinking um, was how can we change the fundraising enterprise, right? How can we change how fundraising works? It seems very broken on both sides, both for candidates and for donors. And I had a lot of people starting to reach out to me and saying, hey, I know you're helping Joe Biden and raising money. My husband and I were on his finance committee and raised him quite a bit of money. And so for the first time, we had friends we went to high school with 20 years ago now calling us and saying, hey, we've got money to invest in democratic politics. Outside of giving to Joe Biden, where else do we give? And we supported Pete Buttigieg, who else is like him in the the country, and started to realize that the barrier for entry of information um, for somebody wanting to do good with their money and invest is very hard. You either know somebody, you attend an event that somebody's hosting in your neighborhood or virtually, you see who's trending on Twitter or who is someone on CNN or MSNBC is talking about. But for a lot of folks that have money um, that want to invest, don't really have one place to go. So I had been thinking about for years how to kind of change that. Um, also, how do you provide better information to candidates of people who actually want to talk to them instead of just mining a list of traditional donors that get hundreds of calls from everyone across the country. So really started a platform that we're about to launch in the next few weeks called Give Blue that will do just that, kind of bridge those gaps. I'm not sure yet that I understand what this platform will have as part of it. I, I read a description or two. What will be housed on the platform? Yeah, so a couple of things. One, you know, we will have the ability to have every candidate who files for office as a Democrat have essentially a candidate card where um, they can have up-to-date information, who's endorsed them, specific polling that maybe if that has been done, or any kind of information they want to share about themselves as well as issues. It'll also be a one-stop shop for, for events, both virtually and in person across the country as a warehousing and indexing of those events. As well as I think the best tool um, that we will have is what we're calling our insights feature. And the feature I think that's probably most needed is just, you know, where are those strategic investments? I've had the pleasure of being on lots of uh, calls where you hear great investment advice about where to invest, what the legislatures are doing with redistricting, what the house is going to look like, where money should be invested into local groups that are doing voter registration or combating disinformation campaigns or working with communities of color. And that will be kind of housed in our insight tool, um, you know, up-to-date information for folks that do not have access to kind of finance level committee information will be kind of right at their fingertips to help them make the best, most impactful investment according to them. So it's kind of a matchmaking site between... It is exactly that. Yes. One of the challenges of any site like that is to bring both sides to it. It's no point in going up on that site as a group or a candidate if there's no donors. And there's no point in going there as a donor unless there's really something different and valuable in terms of information that's available. What's going to attract both sides to this site? Yes. 
So, I mean, I think a couple of things, right? I think we're in a unique time um, where candidates and campaigns are looking for places and ways to connect with donors at scale. And kind of the way that they have traditionally in the past few years has been spending a lot of money on ad acquisition on platforms that are no longer as political friendly as they used to be. So I think that there's a need and want uh, in the environment to be able to connect with folks. The other piece of this is for candidates and campaigns is that, you know, uh, the donors that come on and the users that come on to this platform are going to go through a short onboarding process and they're going to tell us exactly what they want to be connected with, what the issues are, what types of races, and we'll have the opportunity to market and to them opportunities of investment. We've never in politics had essentially that much information about why people donate, when they donate, who they donate, how they make their decisions, because it's really kind of a disjointed ecosystem right now. Um, and so hopefully we will be able to provide a great uh, service to the candidates, getting them people who actually want to give to them um, and hopefully helping, you know, up and down the ballot campaigns that are looking to grow their network as well, as well as for the donors. I know that there's a lot of data produced, you know, um, 30, 40 million individual Democratic donors came through our system in 2020. Um, and I think at scale, a lot of those donors would like some more information at the palm of their hand other than just a donate link for my campaign here or there. Are you going to load into your site donors from other places? Are you going to sort of pre-populate it with donors? Or is it something where you have to solicit them to join the site? How will you build up uh, kind of a repository of, of donors? Yeah, so I think we're going to do a lot of uh, marketing techniques to, to go out and recruit um, donors that might want to uh, be a part of something like this. We have had just kind of a an informational website up uh, for the past few weeks. And myself and other professionals in the fundraising business seem very excited about the possibility of this. So a lot of people have been doing a lot of outreach to different types of donors and different people that we think might uh, be interested in using some of this. And we've had tremendous feedback. So, um, you know, we think that this is obviously something that's needed. As we built the platform, uh, we did 25 different focus groups. So we've talked to donors up and down the spectrum about what they want and what they need. And is this a platform that they wanted? And the answer was resoundingly yes. It is something that they've basically given us feedback as well. Tell me a little more about that insights feature. Occasionally I'm a donor. If I go there and for insights, as it were, I could imagine that uh, here's the race where your dollar would have the most impact. Some, some calculation like that. I could imagine you've asked me, a bunch of stuff about myself and you've matched me to uh, candidates or groups that align politically with me or geographically or some of the groups work on who could be the tipping point in a state legislature. What will your system provide? We are going to be announcing some partnerships soon. Um, so we are, you know, we believe that those insights are a combination of everything from voter trends to, um, but, and maybe the, and that includes voter registration numbers. It includes survey research. 
um, and polling, as well as the education piece that we talk about a lot is funding. How, how much funding does a campaign need and where are they in that, that metric? So um, educating folks on that um, and helping them make those impactful donations, hopefully earlier instead of later, because far too much funding comes in the last 30 days of a campaign. So be some trusted uh, media content at the local level and a lot of our battleground states to begin with. And then we hope to make partnerships outside of the battleground states. For me to sort of understand where you're coming from, if I just came to you, forget about the site, and I said, I'd like to invest, as you put it, in the Democratic Party or associated organizations, where do you think I should put some money? What would you tell me? I would want to know what's most important to you. I mean, don't you have an opinion about like where money is most valuable right now that there's a lot of people I assume who would be coming to a site like this wanting to know the sort of the site or your, or your partner's opinions about that, or, and maybe something to back it up. Like you should really give to the North Dakota Senate race because, uh, it's the closest one in the country. And if we win it, we hold the U S Senate or something like that. But tell me how you think about it. Obviously, in the 22 cycle, um, you know, holding the Senate and keeping people like Raphael Warnock and Mark Kelly in office or top of the ticket and being able to pick up opportunities in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and North Carolina and potentially places like Florida um, are top of mind, right? And being able to, depending on, you know, what the pundits say and where we are, what redistricting looks like, how we can hold the house and how critically important that's going to be. And those specific districts that are now changing with redistricting. I think beyond that, I'm a person that believes in a layered approach of a giving. So if you, if folks are really interested in a U.S. Senate candidate, um, and we can take Georgia for a great example, um, and Raphael Warnock, and they have the capacity to give uh, beyond his campaign you know, they're going to have great up and down the ballot races there and great nonprofits located as well, along with the state party in Georgia doing fantastic work. You know, not just Stacey Abrams's organizations, Fair Fight and Fair Count, who did a lot of voter protection work last cycle and I think are going to continue doing that work. But but organizations like New Georgia Majority, who are registering and present in communities of color right now in the off cycle, um, as well as, you know, keeping folks like Lucy McBath. Um, an office as well. So I think there's every state has its own opportunities. And I think encouraging um, more people to invest in the whole ecosphere to create that positive change we want to see, especially when it comes to um, emerging and non-battleground states. Will a potential donor see those opportunities ranked in some fashion? How will you lay out that information to an interested donor? Yeah, so we're going to have kind of opportunities not only on the platform, but also to talk to folks like myself. But specifically in the platform, you know, it will be, you know, if we're, if you've, if you're interested in Georgia, it will continue to recommend things like I've just mentioned verbally about Georgia of places to support, not only through events, but maybe support directly. Um, and also maybe learn a lot more about why it's really impactful that we should be registering voters in Thomas County, Georgia, which is rural Southern Georgia, but had one of the larger voter trends and turnouts in the runoff. So why it's more impactful to be registering um, there and how that's getting done and then how that kind of impacts the entire ticket. 
What kind of organization is Give Blue? Is it a nonprofit? Is it a for-profit? Is it a PAC? How is it organized? We have applied for um, us to be a B corporation, but we are a for-profit um, corporation. And we really felt the need that in order for us to innovate um, and to be able to provide this service, um, that it would be better for us to find funding from institutional and venture capital type people that wanted to bring this to market instead of also trying to fundraise along the way. So have you raised money for the platform? We have. We've been tremendously successful for folks that really saw this vision from the start um, and have been tremendous partners, not only as investors, but as advisors along the way for us. So we're, we're very happy about that. Are you public about how much you've raised? Uh, we're not. We're just about to close around. So we're mm-hmm. going to be announcing that pretty soon. Uh, but I would take it millions of dollars? Uh, yes. And this is a software platform, a database platform uh, behind the scenes. Correct. Yes, correct. How have you gone about building that? Uh, we have uh, gotten a great, we have a great CTO who has a longstanding relationship in politics and I've known for 15 years as well as um, during COVID, we, you know, we were able to recruit um folks out of the University of Washington that were graduating. Um, and we have a great development uh, UX design team uh, that are very fortunate and very eager to learn about the political system as well as be partners with us. So um, we've done everything from the, the front end as well as the back end and had it actually to build a more of the back end than we had anticipated just to be able to house a lot of the things and kind of the data that we wanted. There wasn't a perfect fit for us that already existed. How big is the team that you've put together at this point? There are kind of four uh, folks that uh, are kind of all in, and I would say most hours of the day were available. Some of them have are still working some some part time jobs, um, and then we've got uh, another four in our development team currently right now. In the, that means building, building the end, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're the CEO, correct. What, what have you learned about entrepreneurship in the political space in previous ventures and in this one? I mean, I think one of the things that is so such a blessing is working on so many campaigns. Uh, you, you really are entrepreneurs, right? From the beginning, you learn how to build a campaign, you learn how to, to build a brand, you learn how to market, and then you and you also learn from a financial how to raise money and how to cash flow, how to hire, uh, what HR looks like. So I think. Uh, working in campaigns in the political ecosphere has really given me, uh, I mean, I'm really an entrepreneur at heart. And I think most of us are who, who continue to stay in this business. So a lot of those aspects, uh, transitioning to building a technology company has been quite easy. Will people donate through the platform? In other words, can they, if they look up a candidate, can they press a button, enter an amount and have that money directly go over? Is that part of the yes, way it works? Yes, that is part of that. Yep. Yeah. And what's the business model? Is it to take a piece of every uh, contribution or are there subscription revenue for being on the site? How are you going to, to make some money? Um, in the beginning, yeah, we are uh, going to offer the platform um, free of charge to everyone. But then uh, much like you've seen platforms such as LinkedIn, we'll have a premium version that's offered down the road um, to folks that might want more individualized um, giving information, um, more up-to-date stuff, and really for for our our more top-tier users. 
what are you connected to for the donation processing? What are you is it like ActBlue? Are there multiple options? Is it your we, own? Yeah, we we honestly built this um, hoping to be able to be a good partner in the ecosystem where we would have multiple options. And we've been in conversations with um, the companies that you uh, have mentioned and a few others that um, will potentially be good partners for us with that. When I think about what you're offering, it seems different, but analogous to some other offerings in the space. I mean, there are people who are in business now providing help in growing your lists in various terms, like growing your email list or growing your donor list. There are people who are selling uh, donor lists that you're probably aware of and, and doing pretty well at that. And there are people also who have email lists and are trying to have other people opt into those for fundraising purposes. What, what do you think of the other options like that for finding donors and how do you compare yourself to, to what's out there? Every campaign wants to talk to as many people as possible, right? And it has been for a while uh, acquisition, whether that's running social media ads or whether that is acquiring, doing acquisition through some of the companies that you've mentioned to acquire email addresses to then essentially do outbound marketing. Um, and do what a lot of people would call churn and burn a list, right? To get the most amount of revenue from it. You know, we really don't view ourselves like that at all. We really view ourselves as somebody who's going to allow the donor to choose their own donor journey, choose what they want to invest in with strong recommendations of things that they tell us that they want. And in return, what we hope is that we are connecting folks up and down the ballot to donors that really want to talk to them, um, not just be an email on their list or not be on those folks' lists, but really be able not only to just provide that unique one-to-one -one connection um, and so that campaigns are really um, hearing from people that want to invest in them. GetBlue has the potential to have essentially the most unique set of donor insights in the ecosphere. So if I sign up, to be a, a donor on your site, what kind of outreach would that, would I then be subjected to? Will I then be texted out of the platform? Will I be emailed out of the platform? How do I control to what degree I'm bothered or not bothered or given the opportunity? It's a country with hundreds of thousands of organizations and campaigns if I put myself up on a broad platform, what happens? We hope that you would come back and visit the platform um, all the time um, to get all of your information and insights. In terms of what the platform will be will be offering is if you're signing up for events, of course, we're going to be following up with you to make sure you're attending and getting all of the information through text and through email. Um, any of the communication you're going to be opting into through the platform. Um, and, you know, we're going to really pride ourselves on that connection being to stay within the platform. So you aren't subscribing to hundreds of thousands of lists. You're just subscribing to the information you want to see on our platform and how you engage there. Do you think of this as a, a large donor platform, a platform for people who give substantial amounts of money? We really built this for the person that was much like myself um, who would attend events and write the $250 check. But, you know, 15 years later might be able to write that larger check. So we're really trying to capture the folks that 
that want to be in the system, um, not through an email, but through much more meaningful engagement and give them a lot more opportunities to engage and hopefully grow with us and stay with us for the next 20 years as, as their investments grow as well. When you've pulled together people for these focus groups, what have you heard? What do people want? Just like everything else, when you ask a lot of people what they want, every person's what they want can be a little bit different. But a lot of what we heard is they want a place where they can they can do this. One of the other unique things is in the user profile, your donor user profile. So we'll store all of everywhere you've given, um, all your donation history um, just for you. So you can start to track it. That's one of the things that we hadn't anticipated building and that through these focus groups, uh, people really said, I have no clue how much I give per year. I know that I attend a bunch of events, but I, I don't keep track of it. And what if I kept track of it? Could I have gone back and looked to see if my investments were good and how impactful it was? So we're working on, uh, so we built an entire tool for that as well. So such strong feedback from folks. In the days when I ran a political fundraising software company, I often got that request from big donors for a place to manage their information and looking on it at it like every cycle didn't think that the demand was enough to support say an application on its own not in this context but in a different context um, where you'd have to sort of market that software independently of any other enterprise people want to be able to check that they stay under legal donation limits how many people do you think really fit that category of they give so much that they don't know how much they've given. I don't even think it's that they give so much, right? So we've talked to even or people. Or they give so randomly. They give so randomly. We think that there are ways to get people more engaged and more often, and maybe it not be so sporadic, but the only reasons it is sporadic for so many donors is because the opportunities are the way we're trying to engage and connect with them. It's not necessarily a more personalized experience. How are you going to acquire all the information about a big donor that gives randomly and sporadically if they don't give through your platform. I mean, like it's very easy to, you know, see an ad, give through ActBlue, give through a website that's NGP van processing, write a check to a local person. There are so many routes nowadays. You can text money. How are you going to acquire the data that doesn't go through your platform to be part of a profile? Of a donor. So some of it's in the onboarding experience, right? That they're going to tell us some of what that information, right? Um, outside of that, the platform partnerships that we're in conversations with, some of that is if they're able to provide some of that for us, or, you know, if you're giving federally, it is pretty public record. Um, that being of it said, you know, we want the donor to be able to use this as a tool for themselves and, and the folks that don't want to use this as a tool probably won't. There's an opportunity for them to, to also have a kind of a self-reporting option as well as a mode to track in the beginning. So are you saying you might load like the Federal Election Commission records on a donor that you have and match them in? No, I think what we're we're just saying is if we've got donors that are in, on our platform using um, the technology on our platform and happen to give another way, you know, after every quarter, we'll be able to maybe match those records and say, hey, we recently just saw that you gave to Raphael Warnock, but you didn't do it through us. We'd like to update your user profile to reflect that. What's the longer term vision for this? 
if you do succeed in making it an active hub where a lot of people, both donors and organizations being donated to, what does that then open the door to in your mind to providing maybe other services to either either type of uh, client or user? I mean, I think in terms of the the innovation and the political tech space, it's endless, right? There are so many tools, even in building this, that I've thought of four other things that would be great um, future uh, ventures uh, to help in this system. I mean, in terms of this, really, you know, I hope that we'll be able to move more money up and down the ballot, really be able to help people at the local level who the average person at the local level is raising, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in a small network, being able to introduce them to potentially people who are interested in races like theirs, as well as, you know, right now we're seeing a swarm of people interested in school board races. And it's very hard traditionally to raise for a school board race outside of your friends and family network in your local county. Um, And every election cycle, we have these inflections of types of races and great candidates that might step up without a lot of infrastructure um, and even knowing where to go and how to get more funding. So we really see us as a bridge to be able to help every campaign, but especially those campaigns. It's always seemed like there's a bit of a need to rationalize the process by which donors target their money in the party. A particular special election gets hot and, you know, like Ossoff special election uh, back in the day or or the Senate race that you worked on in South Carolina. And that candidate raises an outsized amount of money for what is really warranted for that race. What ability might this provide to kind of nudge people to not just give to the latest craze or to a or to a race where we we probably have very little hope, but we hate the opponent uh, and rather target it towards things that have the biggest leverage. I think that's always the competing factor in politics, right? There's always something that is um, the shiny object. And sometimes Democrats are really good about following that shiny object. Our hope is to also be highlighting um, places of impact throughout the election cycle there's a lot of races in the South that are are not winnable yet at, at scale, but there are a lot of local races, legislative races that are frankly just underfunded. That is the bench in the future of our Democratic Party um, that would be great to see more people take interest and invest in. For years, I've wondered how we justify building platforms like this external to the party itself. I built one external to the party. Uh, you are in the process of that, but you worked as, you worked for the Florida Democratic Party, and would it be healthier for the system to build this within the DNC or the state parties and have them own it rather than to have an entrepreneur like yourself out there or like I was out there doing it? Uh, what do you think are the trade-offs in organizing this as a company and building it outside with the different kind of incentives that provides you. And my guess is that you're pretty excited about this and you're working pretty hard to make it happen. Like, how do you think about that relationship between the party and an enterprise that, for what I understand, is trying to help the party? Yeah. I mean, I think 
A lot of the innovation that we're seeing now is coming from outside of the party. Uh, And frankly, I think the party and a lot of the committees have a big job in and of itself. Um, And their mission is, is very focused on electing Joe Biden to office and and defending, you know, the White House and in def- picking up seats in the Senate and defending our Senate and holding our House of Representatives. And that in and of itself, uh, finding candidates, running campaigns, um, building infrastructure around all of that and keeping it going in the midterm is a tall task. I think I'll, there's been a tremendous amount of env- innovation. Um, and I think, you know, something like this, Give Blue intends to be a partner with the committees, tends to be a partner with all of the big organizations in the progressive ecosphere and outside of the party um, itself. So, you know, we see ourselves as an asset um, to the entire ecosphere, and uh, we couldn't do this without without their cooperation and partnership. Did you maintain majority control of it in seeking funding? Yes, myself, and I've got a co-founder as well. Yes, we have majority control in it. Mm-hmm. It only works for Democrats? We are a partisan group, which was when you go outside of, when you try to seek funding anywhere outside of the progressive ecosphere, you quickly learn we are strictly building something for Democrats to basically build a better democracy and increase more funding for Democrats up and down the ballot. Is there anything like this on the Republican side? No, we have not found anything. So if you I mean, I know that they've they've innovated in technology and they innovate faster than we do. They have the Trump app that they launched. Um, They've got other platforms that they work and they're a little bit more cohesive um, in terms of the political tools, I think, that they use than than we do. But we have not come across anything that is directly um, similar. What question have I not asked you that you'd like to answer? Why now and why this? Why now, why this, and why you? For the first time, we've seen several cycles of of politics at scale, right? Um, and so I think one of the last places we've seen um, a true democratization of of an, an, an marketplace, essentially ability to have a marketplace has been in fundraising, right? We've had a lot more innovation on back-end tools, um, and, and tactics and campaigns that have been great and beneficial. And I think, you know, we're finally at a place where we've got at scale uh, people wanting to invest in democratic politics and wanting to do it uh, in the palm of their hand. Right. Um, and so I think we're at the beginning of that forefront. Why this, you know, we firmly believe that this is an opportunity to not only help people make better investments, but hopefully more investments that lead to, um, you know, obviously a better democracy for us all. And, you know, living in Florida, I've sat on the front lines of what it looks like when that erodes away. So I've been more fired up than ever to kind of find a solution to move more impactful funding. In terms of myself, you know, I think that I've been fundraising up and down the ballot in some of the hardest places um, in the country, I think, to fundraise for and, you know, really excited to be able to provide a better opportunity both to donors and to candidates to be able to uh, fundraise, hopefully for cheaper and get more donors into their donor pipeline that they can then communicate to and hopefully, you know, grow them within their own portfolio. So if someone wants to sign up for this, what do they do? 
Uh, right now, you can go to giveblue.com um, and sign up. You would get an alert about when we um, we will have our platform launched, but we're looking to come later this year. Well, I'll be interested to see it when you have it up. Uh, anything else you want to say? Thank you. You're welcome. That was Bryce Barnes. Bryce is at giveblue.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.